Shift is brought to you by Deloitte. The automotive industry is evolving and fast. At Deloitte, we understand the challenges you face and are here to help you respond, recover, and thrive even as you may face the unknown. Our global network of professionals can help you navigate through today's complex issues so that you don't have to go it alone. To learn more, visit Deloitte.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm Pete Bigelow, your host and reporter at the Automotive News. Hi, it's Leslie Allen. I'm the editor of Shift Magazine. Thanks for listening. And Alexa St. John, covering tech and suppliers. Joining us on today's episode is Brian Johnson, city manager of Peachtree Corners, Georgia, and the director of Curiosity Lab, which is a publicly funded lab designed to provide a real-world test environment uh, for next-generation technologies, uh, be they 5G, autonomous vehicles, uh, et cetera. Uh, They're one of these smaller, smart, quote-unquote, smart cities out there. Uh, Brian's going to tell us about uh, everything going on in the suburbs of Atlanta. Uh, But first, uh, some news in the mobility front this week. We saw... Uber reported its earnings, uh, losing almost $3 billion in the quarter, and uh, joining forces with Lime on the scooter front. Uh, Leslie and Alexa, what do you make of all the Uber news uh, in the mobility world this week? Well, I think it's a little bit odd. I mean, this Uber is sort of running hot and cold here. It's also cutting 3,700 jobs. So we're really wondering how all of this is going to settle once all of this is done. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like, you know, the ride hailing companies, Uber um, and Lyft, for that matter, are are really struggling amid seeing so much demand uh, for their traditional services uh, fall. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, both of them have tried to uh, change course by expanding some of their other services, Uber with Uber Eats, for example, Lyft is trying out some pilot delivery uh, services called essential deliveries. So, you know, obviously they're they're facing a little bit of an existential crisis here, um, at least more than usual. You know, it's kind of weird because it seems like companies are either going all in on mobility or they're pulling back on mobility. I mean, one of them that seems to be going all in, of course, is Intel. I mean, uh, I know they had some news this week. Pete, you wrote about that. Can you uh, kind of brief us on what's happening with Intel and Mobileye? Yeah, Intel, through its Mobilize subsidiary, purchased uh, MoveIt, the uh, app that aggregates uh, transportation options earlier this week for $900 million. And Leslie, I think you know what you just said about some companies going all in and some retreating is spot on. This, uh, that's essentially what Amon Shashua, uh, Mobilize CEO, said was that in, in a time of crisis, you, know, you pick one of those two forks in the road and uh, it's interesting to see a big tech company going all in at a time where I see some of the traditional automakers retreating on on their mobility investment. So uh, how that continues to develop bears watching. And I wonder if over the long term, does it mean that the automakers fall further behind the the tech companies? Uh, but but an interesting development in and of itself. So you know, if anything, I guess it shows that. Uh, mobility is not a wasteland right now. There's some interesting things going on amid COVID-19. 
And uh, they're certainly going on at Peachtree Corners, Georgia. I learned a lot from our conversation with Brian. uh, And I think our listeners will find it pretty interesting. So why don't we, uh, without further ado, let's take a quick break. And we'll be back with Brian Johnson. Anticipating and preparing for tomorrow's complex issues can be a challenge. The automotive industry is one of highs and lows and everything in between. At Deloitte, we understand the challenges you face because we've spent years working in this industry. To gain timely insight and to keep apprised of changes in consumer behavior, consumer buying patterns, and overall consumer sentiment, check out the Deloitte Global State of the Consumer Tracker that provides global data to help keep you well-informed as you strive to keep pace with the fluid demands of today's customers. The Deloitte Global State of the Consumer Tracker tracks the responses of over 12,000 consumers across 13 countries. For the most up-to-date information, be sure to visit and subscribe at Deloitte.com. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, Brian, now you are the city manager of Peachtree Corners, Georgia. Can you tell us a little bit about Peachtree Corners? Yes, ma'am. We are a north metro Atlanta municipality. We were created only about seven and a half years ago, so we're a relatively young city. We were um, created really as a result of um, a number of decades of development that centered around the very first technology park that Atlanta had. Um, in the late 60s, early 70s, a Georgia Tech graduate turned developer decided that he was going to do something about the brain drain that was happening with Georgia Tech graduates not having enough technology jobs in Atlanta to stay in the region after they graduated. So he came 20 miles. Of course, at the time, it was way up here, 20 miles from downtown Atlanta. And he started speculatively constructing buildings in an office park and only filling them with technology companies. And over the decades since then, this um, Tech Park Atlanta, as he named it, um, grew into 500 acres. We have about 8,000 people who work inside of this 500 acres. We have over 1,000 people who live here. And over the years, it's actually put its name on the international scene. It is where the... um, modem was invented. The Hayes modem was invented here in Tech Park. The color printer was invented here and Scientific Atlanta, which is now Cisco, was uh, founded here. So we have a, a very robust technology park. But as you can imagine, as jobs happen, especially in a metro area, people want to live close to where they work. And so our housing um, stock started um, growing at the same time as our jobs. So we are currently at about 45,000 people population, and we have about 45,000 jobs in the city. And so jobs in residential units have grown together. And about seven and a half years ago, the local residents said, we want to have more local control. And so they decided to incorporate. There was a big cityhood movement. And I'll leave you with one last interesting tidbit. Despite us being about 50, you know, almost 50,000 people in a full service municipality, Um, And despite there being hundreds of people that are right now providing service on behalf of the city, wearing city uniforms with logos and and everything, 
this city only has six employees. Everybody else is an employee of a of a third party organization um, that provides a service to the city through a contract. And so we don't have a lot of overhead because there's only six of us, myself, an assistant city manager and four department heads. And we manage all the, the contracts and so, some of it like with police and fire is with our county that we have an intergovernmental agreement with. And some of it's with uh, a lot of it's with private organizations that provide a service. They provide the people, the vehicles, the unemployment insurance, the health care costs, all that kind of stuff. So we are a um, outsourced um, a service delivery model municipality um, here in North Metro Atlanta. But at the end of the day, what that has done is that allows us to be maybe as flexible and as quick to be able to make a decision as any municipality in the country because we don't have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of legacy costs, a lot of government, you know, bulk and bureaucracy. Um, and so I think to a large degree, when you couple that with a mayor and council who are very progressive and open-minded in a citizenry who in, embraces technology, we've been, we're in a great position to have created what we have here. And that's Curiosity Lab and this um, living laboratory we got. Brian, I was just going to ask you about Curiosity Lab. Uh, you know, what is Curiosity Lab specifically and, and how does it kind of integrate in, with this idea of a smart city? So, you know, as all cities are doing when it comes to either trying to be smart, which we could spend all day talking about, you know, how to define smart city. But as cities are looking to be, become smarter and as they're looking to always um, enhance their economic development activity within the city, we were no different. And so we were looking at it. And of course, it's actually really important to us because we're the second largest municipality in the state without a city property tax. We have no city property tax because our business, our economic development activity is so healthy that we don't have to actually uh, implement city property tax. And so we were looking at ways to make sure that that doesn't do anything but improve. And one of the ways we were doing that is we thought, you know, maybe we ought to look at technology and maybe we ought to, you know, look at the unique position as a public organization that we are, and that is we are uniquely qualified to leverage our maintenance, ownership, and regulation of public infrastructure. And maybe we can use that, couple with it with technology, and create something that will drive activity. So what we did is we said we, we, there was a, a mile-and-a-half section of roadway within Tech Park Atlanta, that technology park I was telling you about, that we own the entire right of way, sidewalks on each side, the entire roadway. We thought, you know, we're the only ones as a public organization that can regulate and that own that. Maybe we can enhance it with technology and then make that technology available to companies to use to either test or demonstrate their technology, their product, and by doing so, if we create something that they have to come to us, we get the benefit of the activity. They get the benefit of having public infrastructure 
that the private sector doesn't get a chance to to utilize. And so we created, we took a mile and a half section of roadway and we, and we enhanced it. We can talk about what we did to enhance it, but we created a autonomous vehicle test track. We created a V to X environment. Um, we created a lot of other things that we've made available to the private sector. And the private sector has come out here and been like, this is awesome. Um, and we've benefited from their activity and they've benefited from our, uh, our amenity. I want to just follow up, Brian, on what you were talking about with Curiosity Lab. Now, you are providing access to this site for free. So why not charge um, your, your users for this uh, space? This is quite a valuable thing you're offering them. It is, um, but you know, anytime you charge, you're potentially inhibiting those who may be interested or can afford to use it. And so to us, where we get the benefit is we get the benefit from the attraction of people who are here to use it for however long. So for instance, if somebody's interested in just being here for one day and that's it, um, they are probably, they're going to still want to eat lunch that day and they're going to probably eat in our restaurant. So we're going to get an indirect benefit from that activity. We're going to get sales tax from that transaction. If they're here for a couple of days, we're going to get them to stay in our hotels. We're going to get lodging tax indirectly from that. So by not charging, we believe that we're opening the door for companies to use our facility that wouldn't be in a position to either afford or, or, you know, be interested in using it. And it's our kind of call it our gift to the evolution of technology. You know, the more technology that can be either created or enhanced here, um, the better off we all are. And so if we get that one company who's right on the edge and they couldn't afford to rent track space, but because it's free here, they were able to come out here and they do something, then, you know, maybe that's our, that's our role in that evolution of it. So that's why we haven't charged and just understand one last thing is, is I gave you the two examples of how we might get a little bit of indirect. The other end of the spectrum is we've only, and we've only been open since September of last year. And we've actually only been fully operational since January of this year. And despite that, we have had 140,000 square feet of empty office space and two companies that have moved their global headquarters here because Curiosity Lab existed and they brought 300 jobs with them. And these aren't even users of the, the facility. They only came here because they wanted to be a part of an environment that had the synergy that Curiosity Lab has created within Tech Park Atlanta. So it's already created this buzz, this, this synergy you get. And so we haven't needed to charge because we're getting that indirect benefit of now permanent jobs and office space and the indirect uh, one. So that's why we have decided not to charge. Brian, how many companies have used uh, Curiosity Lab overall so far, you know, I don't know if, if you track, you said some might be there for a matter of days before they're, you know, they're gone. Uh, how many, how many companies using it so far and in particular, how many using that autonomous uh, 1.5 mile test track? Well, the total number is going to be tough because you're right. You've got um, two kind of classes of users, ones that have a device or a product that you can see it's tangible. A good example of that would be local motors had two Ollie shuttles come out here and use it for four months. 
the first deployment of a an autonomous shuttle on a public road that interacts with the motoring public. So understand that our test track is a living test track. It's not a closed one. And that's important because there's a lot of really impressive closed courses out there. M-City or Gomentum, you know, here in the States and Europe has a bunch of them. And, um, and so we are not trying to compete with closed courses. What we wanted to do is create a location where when, say, an automobile graduated from the closed course, and it, ne- it was time for it to be integrated with the public, we wanted to create an environment that it could be do so in a relatively safe and controlled way. So you can't go from a closed environment to, say, downtown Atlanta or lower Manhattan overnight. That's just too big of a leap. We've created the intermediate step. Um, ours is a track in which the two outside lanes – of an existing right-of-way are the advanced vehicle, so it really forms a three-mile loop. And the two interior lanes are where the human-driven automobiles of people who work, you know, or live in Tech Park or, or passing through use, and they interact with the outside lanes at 32 intersecting points. So Ollie brought their shuttles out here because they wanted to, you know, their Ollie shuttle had worked in closed environments but it had not been tested in not only an environment where it's interacting with the human driven automobile, but see our course is not flat. We actually have a number of hills, including one that has a 13 degree um, grade uh, elevation change, which you'll be interested to note the Ollie shuttles LIDAR initially that grade was so steep. It actually thought that there was an obstacle in its way as it was heading up the hill because the LIDAR was picking up something that it thought was an obstacle. And so it's an environment that they didn't have an opportunity to use in other places where it was flat, clear line of sight. We've got a bunch of uh, sweeping curves. We've got a mature tree canopy and existing office buildings that interfere with signals, which are important. And of course, we've got a 5G environment that I know you guys know about that is available for free uh, use. But anyway, I only say all that to say that, you know, Ollie and their shuttles were a great example where you can touch, but then we've had software companies out here in which you would never be able to see their product. So it's hard to say we've had probably since September, we've, you know, we, we probably had 50 different entities that have used it in some way shape or form some of it is as unique as the u.s secret service is getting ready to hold their um their electronic crimes task force conference here because our facility allows them create scenarios for them to get into you know the hacking of signals um in a v to x environment and how to defeat it or how to uh, prosecute that kind of stuff so we've had a lot um you know some are um you know some are impressive like georgia power and southern company um local motors some are companies you've never heard of um but a, a lot now you um you have close associations with georgia power and with sprint can you tell us about the public private partnerships to help to power this project the the public private partnerships are critical on a project like this for two reasons one 
all of our private partners have brought something to Curiosity Lab to make it better than it was before they became a partner. They've invested something into Curiosity Lab. Sometimes that is money. Sometimes that's donated devices, you know, technology. Sometimes it's expertise. Sometimes it's information. But they've donated something to make it better. So that's important because that means that the public and taxpayers are not footing the entire bill. You know, we're not having to go out and purchase every device and construct every enhancement. Our private partners have brought their technology here and said, look, let's donate it to Curiosity Lab. Let us become a partner and let us bring customers over there to show off our our technology or let us test our product as as a partner. So one is the money part. We've been able to once the city reconfigured the roadway, which we own, none of the technology has been the city having to go out and purchase the whole thing. It's all coming from partners. So we've been able to share the cost. And two is the expertise. The city is an expert in maintaining public infrastructure. We are not experts on cutting edge technology and in testing. We're not a research institution. We're not an OEM. And we don't want to be. And so those partners bring that area of expertise here that we don't have. We are merely a facilitator of this kind of activity. We just want it to happen in our environment. But that's why those partnerships are huge, because we share the cost and they bring expertise here and and um, uh, and, and partners of their own. And so there's this big industry connect component that we've really enjoyed. For instance, one of our partners is Georgia Institute of Technology, Georgia Tech. They were actually here. um, They had agreed to do some research projects at our facility, and they had a team up here kind of getting ready to start it. And Delta was up here. Delta Airlines was looking at our facility for some things like that. And they looked across the, you know, we like to call it like a sandbox. We created this sandbox with a bunch of toys in it. And, you know, and, and, and Georgia Tech was playing in the sandbox. And Delta shows up and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And they started talking. They decided to team up on a research project together here at Curiosity Lab. They never would have ultimately gotten there if it hadn't been for each of them bringing, you know, themselves here and some of their other partners here. So that's where those partnerships play uh, pay huge dividends for us. Brian, you mentioned VitaX uh, and 5G earlier. I wanted to kind of loop back to that. Uh, in that VitaX environment, are you... Are you kind of looking mainly at 5G or or do you do some DSRC testing as well? We have decided and we went to a lot of the experts and we said, look, if we want to create an amenity that is not limited, what type of technology do we need to put in there? When it came to to VDX, they said, you need to have 5G, but you also don't know that 5G will win out. It could be DSRC. So, you know, we essentially put in the VHS and the Betamax out there, and we're just sitting back letting, you know, those two decide who's going to win. So we have DSRC unit, or roadside units in our, uh, on our facility, and we have a 5G, you know, environment. And we also have a 4G LTE environment here too. So all of them are available. 
for use by anybody who's using our facility, whether it's again to test or merely to just demonstrate their product. We've had a lot of demonstrations here too of just somebody who wanted to come out here and show the world that their technology works um, and they use our facility to do it. Now, um, speaking of testing and demonstrating now, of course, we're in the middle of the pandemic right now. And how has that affected the activities going on at Curiosity Lab? Well, it has certainly um, affected it like anything else. Um, You know, probably the biggest thing is as we have worked to get the next series of activities and even series of partners who are getting ready to to install devices in our facility, um, they have not been able to travel. So we have a ever-growing line in the on-deck circle that when the travel restrictions are over, they're sending people out here to install devices for, you know, a further enhancement of our facility. So it has definitely affected things. We've probably done more on the software side than we normally would have um, just because, you know, of the fact that you can do that remotely. But maybe one of the best examples would be right before, I want to say a week before um, the federal government kind of acknowledged that we have a problem. We had unveiled the latest um, automotive tester here, and that was the first teleoperated e-scooter deployment. And you both know what an e-scooter is. Well, there are two companies that had uh, joined together, GoX and Tortoise, and they had created a teleoperated e-scooter. So what this was, was an e-scooter that you can drive just like normal. But first of all, it, when necessary, a human being at a remote location can drive the e-scooter by themselves without a human on it. So they have training wheels that pop down on the back little one so that it's stable and a camera on the stem. And they had a teleoperations center in Mexico city. And what they were going to do here in our lab is they were going to make it available to the public and you could a call for it like an Uber. So let's say you wanted to go to lunch. You could get on an app and you call and that remote operator would drive the e-scooter to you. Then you would jump on it and you would drive it to wherever you were going, say for lunch. And then when you got off of it, you leave the e-scooter like you would anywhere else. But now they may say that's not a good place for us to leave it because we get more people from another location. They can reposition it on their own. They don't have to drive around in the pickup trucks like the the current e-scooters do every evening, pick it up, reposition. Or they can drive it to the docking station to charge it. Or what they're looking at doing now is drive it to a docking station where there's a sanitation component to the e-scooter so that they can sanitize it and maybe make people more comfortable in that, you know, fact of micro mobility than an Uber that's much harder to sanitize, you know, when you got a whole back seat or whatever every time. But that happened about a week before the announcement. And so we kind of put on hold 
that just because of, again, the interaction and the shelter at play, in place. As soon as it's lifted, they'll be back. But that's those are the kind of things that we had ready to go. There are a hundred of those e-scooters, teleoperated e-scooters here in storage, ready to be available for the public to use. And these companies are going to be able to enhance their product, maybe, you know, make it a little bit better, show the world that it exists. And maybe it's one of the answers to micro mobility that, you know, the the e-scooter companies have been struggling with lately, but it's just a great example of how our facility with the technology we have is able to allow companies to test their stuff in places they wouldn't be able to if it wasn't for us. We've written a lot about teleoperated autonomous vehicles and testing environments, but I don't think I've ever heard about a teleoperated scooter before. This is this is a first, Brian. Yeah. Um, if that's the kind of the bleeding edge of the mobility industry, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, dial it back a little bit. Obviously, the South in general and Atlanta in particular have lately become uh, a big homes for a lot of automotive companies, a lot of big automotive companies uh, like Porsche, like Mercedes Benz. Uh, any traditional automakers who are doing stuff at Curiosity Lab or in Peachtree Crossing right now? Yeah, so I, it's fair to say that we have relationships with the ones that you would you mentioned. Porsche and Mercedes-Benz both have their North American headquarters here in Atlanta. Kia has a large manufacturing plant here um, in LaGrange, Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And even BMW, about two hours north of us in South Carolina, has a big manufacturing plant, including um, their uh, performance uh, driving academy is up there, too. And so we have relationships with them. And yes, there are there there's activity. Now, I will tell you that one of the things that makes us unique um, is preventing me from telling you all of what they're doing. And I say that to say we respect proprietary information. And so because all of this technology is fed and connected through our network, it actually is fed through our fiber optic cable to a network operations center that's in, um, we have an incubator in an innovation center of 25,000 square feet that's on the facility. And there's a big call it war room in which you can watch uh, through cameras the entire mile and a half, you know, living laboratory. You can turn on and off devices. You can create scenarios, collect data, but because we control all of it, we are able to set up scenarios such that if a company is worried about a competitor getting the data that's created here, we can set it up to when they're done, we hand them the data and they walk away with it and it doesn't exist in the public space. And so that does prevent me in some cases from telling you what some of those car, you know, OEMs are doing here because they don't want their competitors to know. Um, but it does make us unique because if you consider there are six things that make Curiosity Lab the first of its kind as a living laboratory in the world. One, we have 5G infrastructure in place and it's free. Two, the city is the only governmental entity that you have to actually deal with for any testing here. We own all of the space that the lab is in. Three, use of the facility does not require rental, you know, doesn't require a pay-to-play component. Four, we respect proprietary information. 
Five, we're not requiring intellectual property ownership of anything that's created or invented here, which you can imagine Georgia Tech was very interested in, you know, in other universities like Kennesaw State here and Gwinnett Technical College that have relationships with us um, because we're not requiring ownership stake and things that, you know, their research. And then the last thing you may find really interesting is, and this may make us unique in and of itself, our mile and a half or three mile loop, it has general liability insurance, um, insurance coverage for both driven and driverless vehicle activity. So we actually have insurance for driverless vehicles on a public road that interacts with driven automobiles. And the reason that we think we're the only location in the world that currently is insured is because we had to go to Lloyd's of London to get that insurance. And they were the ones who said, yeah, this is the first time we've ever done something like this. And so if they haven't insured it, nobody probably has. But their point to this was, look, we know that insurance is a limiting factor when it comes to autonomous vehicle activity. But we know that we've got to, at some point, dip our toe into that. Why not do it at a location where we showed them, we proved to them that we have as good of a um, of a grasp of what's going on and its control as you can in a living environment? And they said, you know what, let's go ahead and do it here. And so they're creating data themselves. I mean, every interaction that those um, locomotors, Ollie shuttles had with driven automobile was an interaction point that an insurance company was able to say, here's an interaction point. Here's how they interacted. And and then, you know, it went back to their actuaries. So, you know, a lot going on here. You know, I sometimes apologize that I end up digressing a little bit from your question. But some of these points are important for you to understand the kind of totality of the, the project. Brian, going back to the whole 5G issue, now um, you have said that 5G can be a part of the nation's recovery from this whole COVID-19 crisis. Can you uh, give us some of your thoughts along those lines? It certainly can. We're actually seeing it. We have a company here, Brighttree, which is a a ResMed um, company that does teleoperated um, medicine and um, an internet-based medical device um, sales and operation. Um, we're seeing it by, you know, w- with us having to distance ourselves. Um, 5G is critical if you think about all of the stuff that we may need to do over the wireless environment. And only 5G has the latency speed and bandwidth if you think about all of the stuff that can connect or or will need to connect in the future so even in our mile and a half we've set it up to where all of our infrastructure can talk to each other can talk to all the automobiles can talk to people's phones can talk to anything that has the capability of doing it so when you've got street lights that can talk to traffic signals that can talk to cars that can talk to other cars that requires a lot of, you know, a, a robust wireless environment and only one that only 5G can provide. When you add things like, let's just, here's a scenario for you. There's an automobile accident that the video cameras in our facility that have object detection 
they pick up as an accident. They immediately call the, the, the street light or the street, the, the camera on the street light calls 911. It immediately dispatches somebody even before somebody makes a call. In addition to that, the reflectors in the road of cars coming up the road towards the accident change color. So that all of a sudden, all of them are yellow or all of them are red. That makes people say, whoa, even for dumb cars, the smart cars that can talk to the infrastructure, get a message saying that there's an accident up ahead. So you don't have cars hitting into. Meanwhile, the ambulance and the fire department or whatever that have already been dispatched show up to the scene and they can immediately when they put this, you know, anybody who got got hurt in the ambulance immediately can start talking to a doctor who can through telemedicine and through the transmission of vital signs and even, um, you know, intricate imagery, including like remote x-rays or other things being done in a medical can transmit that massive amount of data quickly to a physician, maybe at the hospital they're going to, and they can already have taken x-rays, read the x-rays or MRIs, done vital signs, had the paramedics do certain things there because of the signal. And don't forget preempting the traffic signals. As you're driving to the hospital, the ambulance is able to clear out every intersection that has a traffic signal so that it's always green when they hit it. Those are That's just a scenario that that technology exists right now and it can be done here at Curiosity Lab. And so I look forward to it being you know, implemented on a much wider scale so that if we do have another pandemic, God forbid, we, our medical community are even better positioned to practice medicine from afar um, than they are right now. Brian, maybe this is a, a great place to kind of end this, but in that sense, do you think uh, smart cities will kind of rise to the challenge of, of health in, in this pandemic? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, you know, smart cities are at least ones who, A, know that they don't know everything. You know, B, that we are merely the ones who kind of are managing the environment, but not the specificity within the environment. So really our job should be for us to do anything we can. And maybe the most important part of that is for us to deregulate as much as we possibly can when it comes to local ordinances or bureaucracy or steps that some of these companies have to go through to implement some, make it as, as flexible and as efficient as we can, and maybe even offer up, again, what we're uniquely qualified to leverage, which is if companies need to use our right-of-way to perpetuate small-cell 5G antennas, let's, let's make it easy for them to do that. Um, and, and, you know, if, if we need to use the top of City Hall and other buildings to put antennas, let's do that. So our job should be really to get out of the way of, you know, companies being innovative and offer, you know, whatever assistance they may need from us to make our environment the best environment for them to innovate. And uh, Brian, I'm almost embarrassed to ask you this question, but let's just say I'm asking this for a friend. <laughs> I hear you. I like these. I love these. There are all kinds of strange conspiracy theories and rumors on the internet, Facebook, et cetera, about 5G and some sort of mysterious connection to COVID-19. Would you clear that up for everybody? Well, it's a great question that I've heard a number of times. I mean, you know, now I'm, 
Uh, and I can, you know, start by just saying, look, as the as the city manager here, the city, you know, the, the, the health and welfare of the city's residents are at, you know, the forefront of my mind all the time. And so as such, myself, my staff, mayor and council are always monitoring all of those agencies that's job it is to watch this kind of stuff, whether it's the World Health Organization, the U.S. Department of Public Health. A lot of organizations are tasked with that. So we're always monitoring that, A. And then, B, we're always looking for any indication here. We've had 5G for about a year. Um, we're always looking for any indication that there's a – and, you know, we've had it for a year, and COVID-19 didn't exist a year ago. Um, you know, these organizations that study this stuff, um, you know, have, have done extensive studies on it. And so we, we you know, we, we listen to them. We've deployed it the way we want. We're always looking for, you know, out for our residents. And so you can tell your friend that there's nothing to worry about, um, that we're, you know, we're, we're all going to be good. Okay. And I think this is a great way to end. Ryan Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a very enlightening conversation. And hopefully someday we'll get a chance to see Curiosity Lab in person. Thanks for again for having me, and we would love nothing more than to host you guys out here, and we can maybe do it at a time where we're showing all you guys are able to show off some of the technology that we got here. You might even have you get on some of our teleoperated e-scooters and we can go around and do some stuff. So thanks again. Look forward to it, Brian. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thanks so much to Brian for joining us. That was a terrific conversation, and I learned a lot about uh, smart cities uh, Alexa, what do we have uh, coming up in the next few weeks in terms of guests? Got a couple exciting people in the pipeline. Uh, we will hear from Kai Stepper, who is the head of the uh, regional business unit of driver assistance and automated driving at Bosch. And we're also going to hear from Danny Shapiro, a senior director of automotive at NVIDIA. So a couple of exciting uh, weeks ahead here. But for now, thanks all for listening. <laughs>